Father God, we do pray for the grace of illumination under the ministry care of your spirit. Father, we pray that for the sake of your son, we would recognize his voice and that we, O Father, would evermore come out and follow him. Lord, glorify before us your glorious one, your righteous one, your beloved one. Jesus Christ, amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is God's word. Well, we come now to Matthew chapter 8. After spending the last three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, in just one of our Lord's sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Now in chapter 8, Matthew begins to report on a series of healings and exorcisms. People's bodies are going to be made whole, and demons are going to be cast out. It's going to be a wonderful chapter 8 and 9. Matthew is following a structure here. He's following a structure he himself laid out back at the end of chapter 4 in verse 23, where he said, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That right there in that one verse is the structure of chapters 5 through 9. Teaching and healing. The last three chapters were a demonstration of Christ's authority through his teaching, which, which means, of course, that Jesus taught in a way very different from the scribes. Isn't that even the summary we find in the last verse of chapter 7, that he taught very differently than the scribes were teaching, meaning he did not keep referring to the rabbis to support his teaching. He did not keep quoting other texts. He did not give four or five possible explanations for what he meant. He taught boldly. Jesus taught fully convinced that what he said was the final word on the matter. He spoke with the authority of heaven. Now, as Matthew shifts to 8 and 9, he's going to demonstrate the authority of Jesus a different way, through signs and wonders. In the next two chapters, Matthew is going to report on a full half of all the miracles that he includes in his gospel. Half of them are going to be right here in the next two chapters. In 8 and 9, we're going to hear nine separate miracle stories made up of 10 individual miracles. It is a load of miracles. It should be somewhat striking. Matthew has arranged his material to make a point, which was a common way that ancient writers taught 
Matthew recognizes how the miracles of Christ must become a significant part in the later preaching of the apostles. In fact, later in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 27, we hear Peter say this to a house full of Gentiles about these very miracles in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew. Peter says in Acts 10, 27, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So Peter knows what Matthew knows. The Spirit of God will confirm in the hearts of God's elect the true identity of their Savior and Lord by the authority with which that same Savior confronted the diseased world and the demonized world. Matthew Henry makes this point very well. He said, quote, Because leprosy was looked upon among the Jews as a particular mark of God's displeasure, hence we find Miriam and Gehazi and Uzziah all smitten with leprosy for some particular sin. Therefore, Christ, to show that he came to turn away the wrath of God by taking away sin, began with the cure of a leper. This becomes part of the apostolic testimony to the elect. So the Spirit will aid them in the recognition of Christ, their Messiah. And that brings us then to our passage, to our leper tonight. The text begins with Jesus coming down from the mountain after delivering his remarkable sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Matthew is notifying us readers of our Lord's geographical relocation. He was up on the mountain. Now he is down from the mountain. Matthew's identifying this relocation is for two reasons. First, when our Lord was preaching up on the mountain, there would have been a large crowd, a closely gathered crowd, to listen to a non-amplified voice. Microphones were about 10 years away still. No. How about uh, 1,800 years away? So there would have been a rather tightly gathered crowd up on the mountain, and no leper, no leper like this one, no leper who wanted to be received for his humility would have burst upon our Lord in a crowd and violated the law. It would have been so shocking The leper would have basically been saying, look at me, I don't care about God's law, give me what I want. That is not this leper. He waits until the crowd is dispersed, and the Lord is down from the mountain and walking perhaps in an open field. There's still people in visual nearness to the Lord. Verse 1 clearly says that, but the tightly packed crowd is gone. This leper, therefore, is waiting. But there's a second reason that we should see for Matthew identifying this relocation of our Lord from the top of the mountain to down the mountain. Jesus is coming down the mountain 
just like Moses came down from the mountain of Sinai. When Moses came down from the mountain, what did he do? He began leading the people of God into the wilderness to the promised land. The exodus out of Egypt was not finished until the people of God were settled in Canaan. What we should recognize here in Matthew 8.1 with Jesus is that he, our Lord, who is vastly superior to Moses, is now coming down to lead the people of God to a vastly superior land of promise through a vastly superior exodus out of the corruption and bondage of sin, the world, and the devil. So Jesus is going to gather and bring his people, the true Israel of God, to heaven by way of the cross, by way of the resurrection. And you probably know that in Luke's gospel, he even uses the word exodus to describe the entire redemptive ministry of Christ to the cross and to the right hand of the Father. But who are the people? Who is the true Israel of God that Jesus is going to gather and bring on this exodus and this journey, this pilgrimage to the true promised land, the heavenly country of Hebrews 11? Who are these people? They are the lepers and the demon-possessed and the paralyzed and the dead and the blind and the prostitutes. They are the dregs of society. That's who he gathers. He doesn't gather the healthy. He doesn't gather those who are well. He doesn't gather the righteous and the clean and those who are not blind by their own testimony. He gathers the dregs of men in this wonderful exodus of the true Israel of God behind the one who is greater than Moses. So Jesus is deliberately, understand, he is deliberately but not exclusively gathering the dregs of society to form the people whom he will liberate from the power of Satan and the corruption and curse of the world. Jesus is deliberately choosing these kinds of people. It's quite important, isn't it, that there's no two chapters in the book of Matthew where Jesus gives more money to the wealthy, where Jesus gives teeth whiteners to those who have really good teeth. There's none of that. Jesus gives to those who have less than nothing. He chooses them. And this point really brings us to verse 2. We first meet the leper here, but it becomes immediately apparent that Christ has come to this leper before this leper has come to Christ. Verse 2 says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There is a grace already at work in this leper. And beloved, grace is no impersonal cloud that is floating around Palestine, sometimes resting on people and sometimes not. Grace is Christ himself. 
Grace is the power of Christ, who is, yes, embodied in human flesh and walking in sandals upon Palestinian soil, but also at the same time, the Son of God is filling the heavens. His grace has come to this leper before this leper has come to Christ. In fact, it is why this leper comes. We can say this, that Christ has come to the leper before the leper has come to Christ for three reasons. One, the leper came to Jesus, meaning he had already heard of Jesus, and therefore he is seeking Jesus. So this is no accidental encounter. He came to where Jesus was. This leper may even have been walking for days to get where Jesus was. Number two, another reason we can say Christ has already come to this leper before the leper has come to Christ is that he kneels down before the Lord. Now, other Bible translations give us a better picture of what is happening. The King James Bible reads this way, verse 2, And behold, a leper approached and worshipped him. The Greek word here is not in dispute, but the ESV could have translated it better. This is not merely a gesture of desperation and need, this kneeling. It is, yes, includes that, but it is not merely that. Matthew uses the same Greek word here that he used earlier in chapter 2 to describe the behavior of the wise men from the east seeking the baby Jesus. When the wise men came into the house of Joseph and Mary and they saw the child, Jesus, the same word is there. They fell down and worshipped, Matthew 2.11. We are learning something important here, aren't we? In private worship especially, but even in public worship, it is fitting to fall down and worship God. It is fitting to be on your knees. It is fitting to let your whole being communicate the worth and adoration of the one you are praying to. Beloved, do not be embarrassed because it is not an embarrassment from God. Do not be embarrassed to kneel and pray, to kneel and worship. This is Jesus Christ. He is God. So the leper does not walk up to the Lord and put his hands in his robe and say, how you doing? Hey, big guy. Hey, man from the sky. Oh, how irreverent. How diminutive. He bows. He worships. The third reason we can say Christ has already come to the leper before the leper came to Christ is because of what the leper says. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. A leper who nobody can have over for dinner, a leper who cannot stand shoulder to shoulder with the scribes of Israel, a leper who probably owns very few books, 
a leper has the highest Christology thus far in the Gospel of Matthew, as evidenced by what he has just confessed. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is superlative adoration. This is superlative honor. The leper has just confessed to Christ by saying, if you will, that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, Mary's son, has full authority over the disease that controls the leper's body. Why do you still have a disease? Jesus has full control and authority over it. This leper has greater spiritual insight into who Jesus is than all the scribes and rabbis of Israel. And he is from the dregs of society, not the elite. He's not one of the regime theologians of the Sanhedrin. So there are the three reasons why we can say Christ has come to this leper before this leper came to Christ. From a great distance, Christ has already made himself known to one of the dregs of ancient society. The big question then is not why would a leper come to Christ, but why would Christ come to this leper? And the answer is not because there was already some natural grace in this leper that made him attractive to the supernatural grace of Christ. No, lepers lepers are sons and daughters of Adam. Lepers are great sinners too. They are just as dead in their trespasses, just as dead in their sins as any clean and proud Pharisee is. So why would Christ come to them? Well, Jesus answers this question for us. He answers it in a few chapters. In chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Matthew eleven twenty-five. Christ comes to the lowly, to the despicable, because it is they who testify to the world that it is not a man's wellness nor a man's merit that God blesses. It is man's sickness. It is a man's poverty of spirit. It is a man's wretchedness for which the grace of God comes with the blessing of salvation. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains the exact same question. Why would Christ come to a leper? 1 Corinthians 1. For consider, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does the Lord go and gather his true Israel for the exodus from the dregs? So that no human being might boast. 
in the presence of God. The Lord passes over many of those who are wise and elite because he knows they will boast. They will boast in the presence of God, and they are passed over. It's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 11. He not only praised God for making himself known to the little sheep, but he praised God in that verse for hiding himself from the prominent and the powerful. That, beloved, is a scandal of grace. Who does Jesus think he is to praise God for hiding himself from some men, especially those who are rich and powerful and important? Who does he think he is? He is the sovereign God who will not allow men to boast in their flesh. Question him. He will set you right. So, if Christ is so greatly pleased to choose and visit the weak of the world, the dregs of society, with his salvation, does that mean the healthy and the wealthy are left out? Does that mean the middle class and the upper middle class and the rich are all too powerful for grace? It does not mean that at all. And this is where every jot and tittle of Scripture is so precious. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, not, not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble in birth. Which means some, a few, among the powerful will be saved. So they are not, none are too powerful for the grace of God. But it does mean what our Lord has said in these verses through his apostles. It does mean that when Christ comes to such powerful people with his saving grace and his healing grace and he touches them, it does mean that he makes them poor in spirit. When he touches the powerful and the noble, it means he makes them mourners. He makes them meek. He makes them hungry for the first time for righteousness. He makes them merciful. He makes them pure in heart. This is the blessing of Christ in his gracious visitations when he comes to any, high or low. But you know that he has come to you with his blessing of salvation. When you high-minded, powerful, noble-birth people are now rending your heart in the poverty of spirit because you have been visited and blessed. Is that not the Sermon on the Mount at the very beginning in chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is also a great encouragement to us, isn't it? Whenever we are sick, whenever we are beginning to move towards the dregs of life ourselves, just think you are just five days without food and a shower before you are numbered among the dregs of society. Five days it would take. 
whenever we begin to even make a half day's movement in that direction because we are sick and we are hugging the toilet and it feels like we are throwing up our insides and our fever is so bad we can't even think straight. There's a delirium upon our body. Whenever we are sick, beloved, this healing of the leper is a testimony to us that our sickness will not keep Christ from us. Call on his name. Go to him. And if he has already come to you, you will go. Well, let's go back to the leper. And once again, notice his careful word choice in verse 2. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's a remarkable concession, a remarkable confession. The leper does not ask Jesus to pray for him. The leper does not ask Jesus to ask God to do a favor for him. The leper does not make any vows or promises to perform a religious task to earn his healing. The leper simply confesses that everything, everything is up to the willingness of Jesus Christ. There's no trading here. Which means the leper recognizes Jesus has all authority in himself to heal or not to heal. The real glory then of verse 3, the next verse, the real glory of it is that the Lord does not regard this leper as misinformed. He does not correct the leper's words in the least. In fact, Jesus affirms the leper's high Christology by using the exact same word the leper used. Jesus says, I will. Translated, maybe I am willing. It's one word. Calvin has an insightful comment. When Christ replies, I am willing, He shows that he claimed more for himself than belongs to a man. If you came to me and showed me your freshly broken arm, I would probably first say, well, just rub a little dirt on it. But then if you persisted and you said, no, 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 make my arm unbroken, I would immediately correct you because you have fundamentally misunderstood who I am. I am a man. I can make no one's arm unbroken. Jesus makes no such correction to the leper. He is the Lord. He has absolute authority. You see how these healings are all being presented by Matthew to reveal the messianic authority of the Son of God? He has absolute authority over our bodies, over our breathing, over our walking, over our sleeping. Is your spine straight today? It's because Jesus was willing for it to be. Did you get over your last cold? It's because Jesus was willing for you to get over it. Is your finger missing? It's because Jesus Christ was willing for it to be missing. Beloved, this 
is the bond of great love. This is the bond of great peace of soul. This is the bond that allows you to stand next to Stephen and take the rocks with him. It's right here. It's the high Christology of the children of God, confirmed to their soul by the Savior himself. By, he takes the very words of our confession. What condescension takes the very words of our good confession and uses them back to us to encourage us? So our Lord's response is quite delicate, isn't it? He does not simply say, be clean and kind of keep walking. He takes up the very words of the leper to make his own reply, approving of the leper's theology, and then performing according to the leper's theology. I will be clean. And he touches him. And then in verse 4, our Lord puts a duty upon the leper. His duty is to go and show his healed skin to a priest in Jerusalem. Our Lord accomplishes several things by giving this duty to the newly healed leper. First, by sending him to the priest, the Lord Jesus is showing to all the leadership in Israel that the ministry of the Messiah is not opposed to the law. They would, they would know and expect the Messiah to be the very embodiment of law. So Jesus, knowing Leviticus and 13 and 14, that one who has had leprosy must be examined by a priest, and the priest will determine whether the leprosy has been healed allowing the man to be declared clean, or whether it is not yet healed, meaning he remains unclean. That's the priest's determination. So the Lord Jesus is giving this duty to the leper because he wants to give testimony that he, the Messiah, is not coming to tear down the law, but to fulfill it. Now, he's doing something else, though, with this duty. By sending this leper back to the priest, and you have to wonder, don't you? I wonder if there was sort of like a run on priestly visits for cleanliness tests when Jesus was around. Hey, hey, Judah, we got like 50 lepers standing, former lepers standing outside wanting to be examined. What a wonderful thing. It's like flowers suddenly blooming in the desert, isn't it? By sending the leper to the priest, Jesus is declaring that the presence of Messiah brings wholeness to Israel, brings shalom, the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, which is yet consummate, which is yet to be consummated, it broke into time in the arrival of Christ. And he is giving testimony by giving these gifts of who he is and where he is bringing his new Exodus people. Think about these priests. No priest could heal leprosy. If you went home tonight, and I, I'm pretty sure 90% of you will, you'll go home and read, right, Leviticus 13 and 14. If you did that this week, you would discover rather quickly that the only thing the priest could do with leprosy was determine whether it was present or absent. 
There's no description in those two chapters, which are quite lengthy chapters, no description of a medicinal remedy for leprosy. No recipe for curing it. In the ancient world, leprosy was considered incurable. In fact, when the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel saying, hey, here's my general, Naaman. He has leprosy. Have your prophet heal him. When the king of Israel got this letter, he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? And the king tore his clothes because he was sure the king of Syria was starting a war through some trick. Leprosy in the ancient world was incurable. The Lord Jesus takes that verse, 2 Kings 5-7. I am God. I kill and make alive. Rend your heart, not your garments. I have come to heal. I have come to defeat the diseased world and the demonized world. But that defeat begins when I come to you and reveal myself to you as the one who has all authority over death, over life, over heaven, over hell, over health and sickness. One last thing. This short passage is a great lesson for the children of God on how to pray, isn't it? How to pray for anything that feels like it is pushing you into the society of the dregs. A two-day illness or a chronic disease. Anything. Here's a lesson on prayer. A high Christology prayer. Lord, if you will. Lord, if you will, you can heal me. That gives honor to Christ. It confesses what the heart most needs to do in sickness. Before we need healing, we need to make a good confession. We need to give honor to God first. And this leper, this lowly leper, this outcast is teaching us. See what ministry he is raised to in the church? Now for 2,000 years, he has been a teacher of prayer to the children of God. If you will, Lord. Didn't we pray that already tonight? When we prayed the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done. What honor this gives to Christ. It confesses that, Jesus, you have absolute authority over my body, my weight, my wounds, my walk, my sleep. You have absolute authority over everything about me. Let your soul give him that honor so that your soul isn't sick along with your body. Pray for relief. And if he is not willing, if he is not willing in this age, he has already testified to you that he is willing 
for the age to come, hasn't he? In his resurrection, he has testified to your body, to your soul, that you will be made whole, that you will receive from him who is life-giving spirit a glory body that is without sickness and illness, without decay and tear. And let us not lastly overlook how to pray with expectation. The fact that our Lord Jesus reached out and touched him and did not just say, be clean, and kind of back up a step. But he moved in and touched the leper. The Lord gave this leper more than he was asking for. Such should we expect in prayer. If the Lord doesn't give you the healing of your body, he will give you something. He will give you even more than you need. He will give you his love. He will give you his grace. He will fill you with the fullness of God. The Lord gives more than we could ask or imagine. Such is the nature of the Savior. Let us pray to him. Father, we thank you and praise you for the testimony of our Savior and the healing of this leper. We thank you, Father, that it pleased you to give this to the church. And Father, we are unashamed because of this glorious passage. We are unashamed to be dregs in society when we are so loved and touched by the Savior. Father, we we thank you that you have testified to us also that should we be among the lowliest of men, we can be servants in the church of Christ. We can teach others to pray. We can teach others how to confess the true deity of Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God. Lord, thank you for this encouragement for all of us who are among the lowliest. Even the unlearned can be teachers. And Father, we also praise you and thank you that it pleases you to give us the life of your beloved Son, to give us the power of his glorified body. Lord, we thank you that it is surely ours as he is in heaven. And we pray that the light of this glory and promise would control us in all our fears and all our anxieties and in all our waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.